going on guys it's the heel tough vlog podcast the boys are back and it's time to get you ready for the game against the app state mountaineers on saturday afternoon uh into early evening we will of course be there in person for you guys uh it'll be an exciting day for sure uh so we'll walk you through what to expect from app state in that matchup but uh, we got to start by talking about Uh, The situation that, you know, we knew was probably going to come to an end today and we were hoping it would not end the way that it is, but it is what it is. This is the situation that uh, is at hand now. The Tar Heels uh, transfer wide receiver, the junior Devontez Walker, he met with a secondary committee of the NCAA earlier today to talk about his case to try to get immediate eligibility this year. Unfortunately, that eligibility has been denied. Uh, everything was presented, uh, all, all the stuff that had pre- been presented in the past. They were hoping that just a new set of ears might have helped them uh, to get the ruling that they were hoping for. But unfortunately, that does not seem to be the case. Now, this does not mean that this is the end of this situation in totality. There is still a chance that uh, you know there, there could be other legal action taken. Uh, there you know, are some thoughts that... There's a possibility that there could be, um, you know, maybe maybe some legal resources that come out and try to help them. Uh, possibly they, they could try to sue. So that's something that uh, is definitely worth watching here over the next couple of weeks. But um, I think for right now, you know, this this is just the scenario that I think the Tar Heels had to prepare for all along. You know, they've still been kind of running 
Tez Walker out there with the ones, and now they're going to have to make an adjustment uh, because they are not going to have him for uh, what looks like at this point the entirety of the 2023 season. Yeah, and I mean, I think this is something that, um, you know, we were hoping was going to go different. It did not. Um, and, and, and this this should be a rallying cry for this team moving forward because you're having a teammate that's that's point blank. They're being, he's being screwed by people that are put into power to benefit and, and help student-athletes reach all their goals and dreams both as athletes and then as students, and that didn't happen. Uh, you know, once again, for the second time in as many weeks, the NCAA has failed a kid. And Tez Walker isn't the only kid that they are that they are failing today. I um, mean, it's why there is continuing momentum for the NCAA to be abolished and for college athletics to basically maybe just police itself because what's been put in place to police it um, hasn't done a good job for well over a hundred years. And so, um, you know, we hate it for him individually. Um, and you're going to see a lot of support both locally from the Carolina program and then nationally uh, from people that cover college sports or just people that cover sports in general. And you're seeing someone be, uh, be screwed out of playing um, the sport that they, that, that, that they love. And so, uh, now, now the, the 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 challenge is putting this behind them as hard as that's going to be because you're going to hurt for your teammate. But Carolina does have a game to prepare for, um, a team that they played a classic with last year up on the mountain at Boone. And now Mac Brown, Chip Lindsey, Lonnie Galloway, they've got to find a permanent replacement for him moving forward. Yeah, and I mean, we look, we've talked about it. We've talked about where it starts, and I think – um, you know, it probably starts with the guy that started the other night for Carolina on the outside. It's It's got to be J.J. Jones that has to step up. But, you know, there's a group of talented freshmen, really two of them, I think that you look at uh, right now that, that you would think are going to take on bigger roles this season. Chris Culliver is a guy that really fits exactly what Carolina is losing in Devontae Walker, but a guy that's probably a little less proven. I mean, you're talking about Devontae Walker, a guy who last year, you know, had 921 receiving yards, 11 receiving touchdowns. And I know that that came at the group of five level, but at the same time, you know, he did have games against Washington where he played well, against Georgia where he played really well and had his highlight reel catch that most of us saw this offseason and got really, really excited about. But Chris Culliver is a guy that when I watched him coming out of high school, I compared him to Deami Brown. I still think that's something that's there. And he's already moving up the depth chart. You know, in the week one depth chart, he was listed behind Christian Hamilton. Now he's listed ahead of Christian Hamilton on the depth chart here in week two. So I think that room is in pretty good shape. I think, you know, when you look at this situation, it's really just focused on the the situation, just the situation sucking for their, him. I think – you know, Carolina, we, we've said it multiple times. We trust that this receiving core is still going to be in good shape. I know they didn't get off to the greatest start the other night against South Carolina. Um, I still thought Kobe Pesor played really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he had a route down the field early in the game where if Drake May hits him on that one, he finishes with over 100 receiving yards and two touchdowns. But Drake just overthrew him. Um, other than that, I thought he did exactly what we've expected from him. You know, Nate McCollum is currently day-to-day. He missed the last game. Uh, He's eventually going to be back in there. You've got J.J. Jones, who was back from last year, who you're hoping you could see take a step. You liked what you saw from Gavin Blackwell 
uh, in camp. I know it wasn't his greatest start or, you know, there, there's definitely not the best night you're hoping to see from him in a Tariel uniform, but there's still plenty of time for him to grow as a player as well. So uh, I, I think there, there's a lot to, you know, still be excited about with this wide receiving core. And I think the main thing is, is that, look, a guy that's gotten it done so far in terms of his coaching has been, uh, you know, Lonnie Galloway. And I, I think at this point, you really just have to trust that he's going to find the right guys. Yeah. I mean, look, there, there's not a shortage of talent or depth in that wide receiver room. Uh, we say every year that, you know, wide receivers are a position that, you know, true freshmen can come in and, and make an impact because you don't really ask a whole lot out of what, you know, they, they're asked to do a lot, but it's, it's a, it's a position where you can come in and make an immediate impact. Um, we saw the tight end have a role in the offense the other day, and it all helps because you got a generational quarterback. You don't got Nathan Elliott back there trying to get you the football. You don't got Brandon Harris back there trying to get you the football. You got the second best quarterback in the country in Drake May. Um, it, it, it makes it a lot easier to to replace a guy that we still have never yet see produce in a Tar Heel uniform. We know Tez Walker is a good football player. The, the tape is there, and, and you, you, you know the, the stats don't lie. But we've still never seen it. What you saw the other night was that Carolina has a group of guys capable of stepping up, capable of making plays um, in a winning environment. Um, and then that's what Carolina's you know, tasked with doing moving forward. That's why we said week one was so big, because the schedule allows them to get off to a really hot start. If you can beat South Carolina without Tez Walker, there are a lot of teams on this schedule you should be able to beat without him too. Um, and, and I think Carolina and this offensive coaching staff, they're going to find the dudes along the way uh, to, 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 to get that wide receiver room where it needs to be to put this team in this program in a position to play meaningful football into November. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think it'll all start, you know, kind of what they do on Saturday, how they adjust. And, you know, the other factor is, as you brought this up, you said you got to use it as a motivational factor. I, I mean, I think they used it as a motivational factor the other night. And, and I mean, look, I don't know about you. I don't think the free Tez shirts are going away anytime soon. I don't think, you know, guys wearing his jersey throughout the year is, is going to be a thing that goes away. Uh, I think it's going to be something that you're going to see throughout the entire year. So it's got to be something that they use as sort of a rallying cry. I think that was part of what they used the, the other night. Um, I think, you know, there there were some doubters that had probably fed in to them as well. But I, I think that's something that as a team they have to use moving forward, especially if he's going to be around the team the rest of the year. And hopefully he is. Hopefully that's, that he's going to be involved. Hopefully the staff is going to try to keep him as involved. Uh, you know, as much as they can. And, and I mean, hopefully, you know, from his standpoint, you know, mental health wise, he, he is, you know, able to be around the team for each and every game this year. But I think that's the big key is that Carolina has to look at this as, hey, this isn't a negative for us. Yes, it sucks that he can't be out there, but we're going to use this negative, turn it into a positive and use it as motivation uh, to really, you know, show the rest of college football and, and the NCAA for sure. Uh, that this was the wrong decision. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think there's going to be a lot of vocal support that this was the wrong decision. Um, I, uh, you know, I would not imagine that the free test shirts will go away. Um, I don't think that them wearing their jersey in the post game is going to go away, nor should it, because your teammates. 
Um, and, and the guy, as, as much as ever, needs your support even more because he's now been denied twice uh, the chance to play football in a rule that um, just simply doesn't make any sense. And, you know, I see this comment from Greg Ward saying, have a team meeting, let them vote on playing and take their chance with a lawsuit. In theory, it's a great idea because it could be the thing that could really just spell the end for the NCAA. Carolina's won enough with the NCAA going to court. It's not worth going there again and, you know, having what could be a special type of year all be for nothing if you if you go to court and lose. And, look, you've already appealed and you've lost. I, I, don't, I don't think going to court is going to make it any different. I know Carolina's got good lawyers. Um, and, and you know, there'll be plenty of people that would love to take the NCAA down, but, you know, it's, it's simply just not the best idea to do, uh, for this season. And so this needs to be something that, you know, when Carolina meets and they gather, like there's no excuses for them to go out there and lay it out on the line because you got a guy that was more than prepared to do so uh, that can't do it. And so there's no excuses to, to prepare your hardest, to play your hardest and to give hundred percent effort because you'd be doing a disservice to a test. And, you know, he's already being done a disservice by the NCAA by not letting them play. You don't need to add to that by not, by not giving your best effort. And, 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 in the, and, and, and as a result of that, him sitting on the sidelines wondering, damn, if I was on the field, this would be different. Yeah, and, and I don't really worry about that. I think, you know, they'll, they'll bring in and, you know, Mac Brown is going to be trying to pull those strings. And. Look, it all starts on Saturday as the Tar Heels take on the App State Mountaineers in uh, Chapel Hill. This is their home opener. Big game against an App State team that is going to be hungry to prove to people that last year was a little bit of a fluke. Now, look, they did not have the greatest start the other day in their season opener against Gardner-Webb. They won 45-24, but that was probably not nearly as convincing as they were hoping it was going to be. Uh, against a team, you know, and Gardner-Webb, who, who's been very solid at the FCS level, but still uh, not a team that they probably feel like if they're going to win the Sun Belt, which is what their goals are each and every year at this point, uh, that they should be struggling with. Uh, Ryan Berger was their starting quarterback. Uh, that's a name that some Toriel fans who are really in-depth following recruiting may know. That was J.J. Jones, former high school quarterback back at Myrtle Beach High School. He was 7 of 11, 73 yards and a touchdown, but he gets hurt in that game. They then go to Joey Aguilar and uh, the true freshman, or excuse me, the junior college transfer, my bad, uh, was sensational. 11 of 13, 174 yards and four touchdowns. So about as good as you could hope for. Um, In the backfield, you know, very strong team. Uh, You know, they, they run the ball incredibly well, led by Nate Noel, who is basically back after it didn't miss last year, but was basically just sitting on the bench behind Cameron Peoples. He's a former thousand yard rusher. So now he's back into that role, carried the ball 24 times for 115 yards and a touchdown Uh, receiving wise, pretty solid group, not a group that's going to blow anybody away. Very similar group from a year ago. Uh, Caden Robinson is the guy that led him in receiving in uh, the game on Saturday. So they're going to be looking to use a lot of him this uh, coming up this year. Christian Horn as well is their other starting wide receiver who Carolina uh, will have to be able to take away. Those are two outside receivers. So, of course, those are the areas that you're looking at because that's the area that Carolina struggled the most in their first game. They did a lot of things well defensively, but they certainly have some things that they have to clean up 
on that defensive side of the football, and it starts in that defensive backfield. Uh, you take a look at their offensive line, uh, rather veteran group, and a lot of guys that are either current transfers or former transfers uh, starting on the interior, and then they're pretty young on the outside of their offensive line. So that'll be something that'll be interesting to watch for Carolina in this game is Ken, a group that had so much success a week ago up front on the defensive line for the Tar Heels, get after an offensive line for App State that uh, really probably doesn't have as much cohesion as they would probably like. On the defensive side of the ball, I mean, look, this group last year for App State was not good. We saw it in the game that Carolina played up there uh, where they won 63-61. We'll talk a little bit more about that game here in a minute. But uh, still, I I think this is a a group that wants to get better from a year ago. Um, They have said as much uh, multiple times. Their head coach, Sean Clark, when he was on WFNZ earlier in the year, said, look, we've got to get better. And it really starts with the – points per game that this team allowed they didn't allow a ton of yards you know that game against Carolina clearly they did Uh, but you know in terms of their defense last year in the 12 games they played they allowed 347 347.2 yards per game which isn't anything outlandish but they still allowed 26.8 points per game already this year they've they've allowed uh, 24 and in the first game of the season they allowed more yards than they did, uh, than they averaged letting up last year at 360. So uh, there's reasons to be somewhat concerned about this defense. Uh, you know, if you're an App State fan, and there's reasons to think you can attack this defense uh, if, if you are a Toriel fan. The strength of this group is in the defensive backfield. Nick Ross, a really talented corner, led the team in tackles a week ago. Uh, he leads the unit back there. They've got Tyreek Funderburk who they really like, uh, who is one of their starters as a transfer coming in uh, at that one, at the one cornerback spot. Uh, you got Ethan Johnson, who's a younger guy uh, that's starting as a sophomore at the other corner spot, so potentially an area that uh, Carolina could still attack. Uh, you go, you know, into the linebacker spots, and, you know, Andrew Parker, guy that's uh, you know, that that they really like, finished second on the team in tackles in their first game of the season. So definitely a guy that is noteworthy and worth watching in this one, uh, but still a team that, you know, last year was really good stopping the run. And in the first game of the season, uh, they allowed 139 yards on the ground, which is somewhat similar to the amount that they allowed a year ago. But Carolina, of course, is coming in off of a pretty solid running performance and they will want to attack that group. And then you look at their defensive front, uh, still a group that I think is is looking for some market improvement. Uh, you know, they're very young up there. Their most veteran guy is DeAndre Dingle Prince, the junior at the uh, right defensive end spot, 3-4 uh, type of uh, base defense for them. Um, so, uh, again, they're going to be, you know, similar to Carolina. Uh, they're not going with the traditional four-down defensive front. Um, Thomas Davis, uh, not related to the Thomas Davis uh, that most uh, Toriel fans will probably know as Panther fans, uh, but he is a redshirt sophomore uh, who also transferred in. That's the thing about this group, really just across the board, uh, just a ton of guys that are transfers. Um, so this is this is a roster that is pretty much completely redone. They're I'm not going to say they're desperate, uh, but this is a big year for 
uh, Sean Clark and his staff up there, and they really need uh, so they needed some turnover there. They need some guys that are going to step up, and I think you know they're hoping that this is a unit that, because it's a relative unknown, early in the season could potentially surprise some people like Carolina. Special teams wise, they do have a true freshman punter in Mitchell Lake. Uh, they do have the reliable kicker back in Michael Hughes, uh, and then. Uh, nothing spectacular in terms of their kick and punt returners. So uh, a solid, but not nearly spectacular group like the group that Carolina faced a week ago. So uh, that's your look at the App State team that Carolina will be facing heading into this game. Now, of course, uh, the, the talking point, and, and I think the best way to talk about this game is trying to figure out what game this could look like. Is this going to look probably more like the game that we saw in 2019, that didn't go the way of the Tar Heels, but you know, still was a little bit of a better defensive effort from them. Or is there any possibility that it's going to be as crazy as it was last year? I don't think there's any way it's as crazy as it was last year. Um, you know, call me, call me, you know, a homer um, or whatever. I, I don't. I think what they showed in Charlotte they showed that they are not going to be nearly as bad as they were at any point during last year. I'd be absolutely stunned if all of a sudden we see that type of performance. Um, but I do think that this is a pretty good test for that defense to show, Hey, you know, we, we, we heard, you know, the criticism that you guys had of us last year, it mainly was surrounded around the way that we performed in that app state game. And now it's about us coming out and taking another step after we got off to a good start against South Carolina. But now we're facing that same team that whooped up on us in the second week of last season. Yeah, I mean, look, if if um, if Saturday goes the way that it went last year, it's going to be really deflating coming off of what you did in Charlotte. It would it, it would it would almost feel like a loss. Um, because this this App State team isn't as good as the App State team we saw a year ago. Um, and a team that pushed us Ooh. to the brink, that went to Texas A&M and really started the downward trial for, for Jimbo Fisher and his team. But the thing that this team is going to have that most App State teams have when they play these something was they're going to be motivated. Um, Sean, there aren't many times that you hear a, a group of five coach who's you know, beating an SEC team that's won double-digit games is on the hot seat, but Sean Clark is. Um, the expectation in Boone is that last year was not good enough. Six and six does not get the job done um, for that football program. When you look at what they've accomplished within the last, you know, 20-some-odd years or so, winning FCS national championships and then being really competitive at the group of five level, having beaten Carolina, having beaten A&M. You know, they, they, they took Penn State to, I believe, overtime – many uh, a, a few years ago and so um the thing for carolina i think has got to be you know coming into this game and something that we've seen them struggle with under mac brown is prosperity you know there's something that he really talked about in that 2020 year in that 2021 year we play great but we we can't we can't come down off that high and then get re up to play again the following week you let that letdown factor come in um you know so i think carolina's got to come in motivated again to show up and, and, and play and play at a high level. Um, because I think if Carolina plays to their capabilities, this shouldn't, this shouldn't be a close game. I, you know, this shouldn't be a game where we're sweating going in the fourth quarter, like we did, you know, in 2019 at home. And there shouldn't be a game where you have like combined 60 points scored in the fourth quarter, like you saw last year and boom, when all hell broke loose. And so it's going to be interesting, but, 
you know, from the way I see it, if what we saw last week from this defense is real, they'll give up about the same amount of yards, the same amount of points, and Carolina should be able to win the game rather comfortably. Yeah, well, I I would like to give up less yards. I, I know, look, I, I know Spencer Radler, you know, is, is not considered in, in a lot of Toriel's fans' minds a Heisman Trophy type guy. But I mean, let's let's be real. He's better than Joey Aguilar, and and I know Joey Aguilar. Man, that second half was was something something pretty special. I don't care who you're playing when when you're eleven of thirteen and eleven and four of those eleven completions are for touchdowns. You're doing something right, but at the same time, I mean, this is not a guy that should be shredding you. They don't have a receiver that's as good as Xavier Leggett, who, look, I, I I don't think I gave him the amount of credit that he should have probably gotten. Um, and for that, I, I blame I blame T-Bone. T-Bone did not tell us that he went off in the bowl game until after the fact. Uh, he didn't tell me. He said, oh, yeah, by the way, that guy, you know, in the bowl game, he had like 100 and something yards. And I'm like, oh, that would have been something nice. Well, he, he, he likes to play well in losing performances, typical Gamecock. Well, there you go. Yeah, I mean, he's 0 for 2 in the games that he performs well, so they could be staring down an 0-12 season. Um, but, I mean, like, you're you're not going to face someone of that caliber. Uh, you you wouldn't imagine at wide receiver. It, it, App State doesn't have a tight end that can carve you up, which has been an issue for Carolina. You, if you go back and look at the pro football focus numbers, and it, uh, this, this is why you take pro football focus with a grain of salt. I, I mean, they had both of our linebackers just getting picked apart in the middle of the field. I I didn't really think they got picked apart that much in the middle of the field. I thought uh, most of the big plays, most of the yardage came on the outside or you know occasionally in the slot. So I, I don't really know where they were getting those numbers from. But I would imagine that Carolina is going to have to find a way to slow that down. I think they'll have much more success with that against an App State team that's not going to have nearly the horses that South Carolina did a week ago. Now, in terms of the overall play of the defense, I mean, I don't know. It's going to be it's going to be weird to try to tell because I'm going to go out on a limb and say they don't have 16 tackles for loss and nine sacks in this game. I mean, if they do, then we could be looking at an absolutely historic per type of season. I mean, this might be video game like at that rate, because I don't even know if I was able to do that sometimes when I would play NCAA, what was the last year? 14. I don't even remember at this point. Um, So, I mean, that, that would just be unbelievable, but I think, you know, and this is where we start getting into those Toriel storylines for the game. You know, I think you you talked about the team as a whole, being able to handle a little bit of praise. and, And I think you're right. My thing is, is, defensively for sure how do you handle the praise do you still have that fire that's lit underneath you you should because look I mean I I love the performance I thought it was great at the same time let's be honest if you come out this week and have a bad defensive performance how many people are really going to remember that first week performance that's going to go away really quickly because you're you're really especially in a season that's as short as college football you're only as good as your last performance. So for this group, I think they need to still be motivated to say, hey, you know, look, we came out, we performed well, but let's not have what has happened 
the last few years happen yet again to us. Let's back this up. Let's come out and put together a performance that we can be proud of and really build upon what we saw. Let's improve on the outside. Let's try to slow this passing game down a little bit more. I, they, they have to try to take another step forward. They can't just be saying, hey, we had a great performance and, and you know we're, we're looking at that and feeling ourselves. It really comes down to coaching. Um, you know, there is the same intensity there this week in practice that there was going into the opener. You know, and, and look, Mac Brown has said, look, we're trying to go from good to great. That's that's the mantra for this team. Great teams don't take a step back after what they did last week. Great teams build. And they 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 take a step forward in the passing game, being able to make more plays on the ball. There was there were some plays there to be made you know, for Tayon Holloway and some of the dudes in the passing game that they didn't make them. And you got to credit the the opposition. They were they were good enough and tough enough to, to, to make those plays. But, you know, you got to be better. Um, and, you know, so – but if Carolina comes out and they kind of do the same thing and they register, you know, a handful of sacks and seven, eight tackles behind the line of scrimmage, I don't really care how many yards they give up in totality because yards don't get you beat, points do. And what you saw last week is what this defense is designed to be. Um, they're they're going to give up yards. They're, they're going to let teams move the ball in certain areas of the field. But, you know, if, if they can crack down once you get into, you know, inside the 25, which like in, in today's modern football, once teams get in the red zone, depending on the, what the game is, a lot of teams are going to go for it. They're, they, you know, a lot of coaches are willing to – sacrifice three points for getting or for they're willing to get zero points instead of just taking the three points because field goals in the end do get you beat. And and, and so this can be interesting to see just kind of what the game plan is um, for Carolina. I thought the best thing they did last week, as much as they have in the five years, Mac Brown's been back. The adjustments they made at halftime played a big dividend because I mean, it was a 17, 14 game at the half. You know, you would have thought that this game was was going to be a game that, you know, was going to be played into the, the the 30s, maybe even the lower 40s because of the way the two quarterbacks are playing. And that didn't happen. And so if App State does come out and they're hot and you think, you know, they'll probably come out a little juiced, maybe come out with a good drive or two. How does Gene Chizik and that staff respond uh, from a from a coaching standpoint? And so um, I know it's weird to say because we haven't said it in a while. I'm confident this defense does not have a letdown factor because they know if they go out there and they stink the joint up, guys like you and me will be back on some podcast behind a microphone complaining about it. Well, I think they might be a little bit more concerned about their coaches. And, and you, look, you said it's on the coaching. I, I get that. I don't think the coaching I, – I, I, you, you do have a mute button there. I didn't get that. Just hit that. <laughs> like – well, or you know what though? This is this is on me. I shouldn't be saying anything. You're fighting through this one. You've been a little sick. You've been under the weather. And we, I, I have a theory of who to blame in the building. And if you're watching this, you know exactly who you are. Uh, you came in sick last week, and you could possibly get the whole building sick. How dare you? But um, I, I just, to me, like it's on the players. Like I heard the way that Gene Chizik talked in the press conference the other day. You would have thought they lost the game. Um, I heard the way that Mac Brown talked. You would have thought that they lost the game, or even if they didn't lose the game, they at least didn't have a great performance defensively. Good. They're the right mindsets. They are. 
Now the question is, is are the leaders in that room taking that same mindset? And are the players in general taking that same mindset? Are they looking at it or are they reading the headlines that we're writing about them saying, hey, they're playing great? You know, and, and look, this isn't to me. I don't have a question about this young man, but look at all the praise that Cayman Rucker is getting. Are they, you know, is, is he a guy that's reading that and saying, look, I want to build off of that? Or is he a guy that's looking at it and, and kind of celebrating himself a little bit? I would probably lean the prior because, you know, we've seen it from him these last few years. He's really been tremendous at handling, uh, you know, those types of things whenever he gets the opportunity. So I, I think that's going to be the, the big point here on the defensive side of the football um, is, is just put last week behind you. This is a new week. You've got to come out committed once again, because if not, App State showed you last year, they will bite you. And this is a team, one of the main things, this is a team that can run the ball a lot better than the team you saw last week. You allowed 11 rushing yards on the ground in that game, which is outstanding. You did a great job with that. We'll have to see what on Joyner ends up being. Guys, he's a converted quarterback. Like, let's not act like their backfield is anything phenomenal. Nate Noel is a guy that's ran for over 1,000 yards. So you, we're, we're going to really see what this team's made of. And one of the things that we heard the staff talk about this week throughout the press conferences is, hey, team needs to tackle better. So you're hoping that you're going to see that. Now, offensively, this is a group that has to be better than they were a week ago. And I think the main thing is, is that you just have to, I think, be a little bit smarter uh, in the passing game. You have to be able to, you know, first of all, Drake May cannot make the decision that he made that really sparked, you know, the back-to-back interceptions. It, it was just, it was a bad throw. It's a guy that, uh, you know, look, outside of that, doesn't deserve really that much criticism at all. I thought he had a really, really good game outside of that, but that's, you know, when when you make that type of decision, you hurt your team. Um, the other thing, you need your wide receivers to catch the ball a lot better than they did in this game. And I think, you know, one of the things was you were practicing with Devontae Walker for the majority of the fall and even during the week leading up to the game before you eventually found out on Thursday that he wasn't going to be there. Apparently they've been doing something similar with him this week. But the other thing is, is that you haven't had Nate McCollum in there as far as we know this entire week. Now we don't know how much, you know, when the injury was sustained last week before the South Carolina game, but it doesn't seem like just from going off of the press conferences earlier in the week, that that was any sort of concern from the staff then. So you'd imagine it happened during that week of practice, another week of working with these guys that were out there on Saturday should probably help Drake May and should probably help this offense overall and will hopefully get this passing game going just a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing with Drake is like the the, the one the one was ill-advised. But, you know, I told you after he made – after he threw it, I was like, that was a result of him making the throw in, in the touchdown to Copenhaver was he was like, Shh, I've got it tonight. I can make any throw on the field. He had to find out the hard way he could not. The second one, you know, was a ball that kind of went through receivers' hands, you know, kind of basically a 50-50 ball. But, you know, when you go back to the end of last year, the, the, the interceptions did start to creep up. The turnovers just start to creep up. You saw two in the first game. You know, you would like for that not to be a concern here on this game. So you want to see a a, a clean performance. I think the game plan should be kind of what, the, what it was last week. 
quick passes, get them in a rhythm, and get the ball in your playmaker's hands um, and see if App State wants to tackle um, because tackling sucks. And so it's a lot easier for you to make some of those bigger plays in, in, in today's football because these corners coming down – you know, where these safeties coming down, they're just not, they're not, they're not technically sound enough to make plays in the open field. You know, I think they're going to want to run the ball to set the passing game up, um, to kind of suck the safeties up to hit them over the, the top for a deep play. We didn't see a lot of play action stuff trying to go deep last week. I think we maybe want to see a little bit more of that in, in this game. And then you want to see the tight ends get involved because Copenhaver was justifying and why he was tied the tight end number one on the depth chart. Bryson Nesbitt had a nice catch last week. And so I think you're just going to see getting the same guys involved and continue to build because I don't think this offense is going to be uh, as explosive as it has been in years past. And I think it's by design. I think this is going to be an offense that can still score 40, can still put up 500 yards if they need to slash want to. But I think this is going to be more of a ball-controlled offense that is really – managing and dictating the game because Carolina feels better about their defense. I don't think they feel that they got to go out there and chase points like they had the last couple of years where Phil Longo was, was calling plays to score quickly because he knew the second that defense was back on the field, they'd be getting scored on left and right. And so I think you're going to see just the more of that same ball control, still controlling the game at the line of scrimmage and really wearing down App State. That's what Carolina did so great last week against the Gamecocks. They wore down an SEC front, um, and, and when you do that, you, you're able to run the ball the way that you did. I think Carolina's going to get this point in the second half where App State dudes are tapping out. They're not going to want no more because I think they're just going to go after them relentlessly. Yeah, and look, they don't have the depth that South Carolina had. I know South Carolina, their defensive line is not nearly what it's been in the past. We've seen some great pass rushers come through there. They put some guys in the NFL – but that group was nowhere near the group that we've seen, even when we've played South Carolina in the past. So I, I think, you know, App State is, is still a team that, you know, they're, they're the biggest thing that you have to eliminate early on with them is their hope in this game. Mm-hmm. Because they're a team that's going to be feeding off of the motivation of just, hey, a chance to pull an upset. You saw it last year. That wasn't really that talented of an App State team a year ago. You said earlier that you think this is probably a a less talalented team than a year ago. I mean, it could be, but I'm not really sure about that. Their quarterback isn't as good. Their running back isn't as good. On offense, it's not as good a team as Oh, I don't know about that. Noel Noel was – I mean, he was just as good and now could be even better than Cameron Peoples was a year ago. The the thing about it is – is like last year's group was was not that great at all. And you saw them feed off of momentum against you and put up 61. You saw them feed off momentum against Texas A&M and beat them. Now, don't get it wrong. Texas A&M was not good either. But at the same time, that's an SEC team against a team in App State uh, that w- was as bad as they've been since they've come to the FBS ranks. So – I mean, look, that's the thing that Carolina has to take out early in this game. And defensively, look, you you can do your part. But this offense, you know, you want to get off to a fast start. You want to be able to score. They did a good job against South Carolina scoring on the first drive of the game. But I feel like in that first half, they left some opportunities on the field. 
and I think they also clearly left some on the field at the end of the game as well. I thought they really struggled. I, I was with Mac Brown. I absolutely hated the play calling at times down the stretch because I felt like it was definitely too conservative. But at the same time, there was another part of me that said, hey, look, Drake Mays turned the ball over twice. It just doesn't seem to be going right for you here in the third and fourth quarter. Maybe it's smarter to hold on to the football and, you know, just run as much clock as you possibly can behind an offensive line that seems, you know, even though they did a better job of pass protecting, seems to be run blocking a little bit better than they are pass protecting. So I think, you know, they're going to have to probably do the same thing in this game, as you're saying to me. You know, come out, run the football. I know App State is not a terrible team against the run. Nowhere near as bad as the team that you faced last week. But at the same time, make them prove to you that they can stop it and sort of open that passing game up, as you talked about, with some of those short passes uh, and and try to open up some of that stuff deeper down the field. Because we saw as the game went along, you started to see some of those deep passes come open. There were times that Drake missed it, but – those deep passes were there because of what the running game was doing, because of what they were doing in the short passing game. It had those members of the secondary for South Carolina guessing, and you're going up against guys that, look, while they definitely have talent themselves, they're nowhere near as talented as some of those SEC defensive bats, especially South Carolina's who are year in, year out. They, they put together some of the best secondaries in the SEC. So I, I think – this is a chance for Carolina offensively. I don't think they're going to be as explosive this year. I'm, I'm with you on that. But I really think this is a chance for Carolina to come out and show that they are still an offense that can score and score at a high level. Because, look, the defense played better. We believe that they can play, play better throughout the year. There is no way that this defense is going to be able to give us that performance every single time out. It, 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 honestly, it's college football. It just doesn't happen anymore. So you're going to need moments where the offense scores, and I think this is going to be their chance to show it. The other thing that I really want to see is them build off of what they did in the red zone last week. They were perfect in the red zone a week ago, and that was something we talked so much about with Phil Longo. And look, give credit to Phil at the start of last year, they were a lot better there. They got off to a great start. The problem was down the stretch of the season, they faded, and they were terrible in the red zone at the end of the year. Absolutely god-awful. And the other night, they were 4-4 four for four in the red zone. They executed when they needed to. I think you have to give a ton of credit to what uh, Chip Lindsey did the other night, and hopefully this is the start of – you know, a, a, a group that can be successful in the red zone. I think this game against App State will show if they can continue to build on that. You know, we got told upon the hiring of Phil Longo when Mac Brown hired him that his red zone offenses were an issue. We had to wait and see it for ourselves, and we learned the hard way that um, when, when you get inside the 20, his offense wasn't as, as efficient as you know you need it to be um, to, to play – you know, championship caliber football. And so, you know, if Carolina does improve in that area significantly, just think about how different last year is. You probably don't lose those last two games in the regular season. You know, I don't think it, I don't think you compete better. I don't, I don't think you win the ACC title game, but maybe you compete a little bit better. Maybe you, you beat Oregon. And now you're talking about a, you know, a 10, 11, maybe 12 win type of year. You just never know. Um, and if you can do that this year, and you're getting seven every time instead of three. I mean, four points is a lot of points when you think about it. 
Um, especially now with the shorter clock and there's less plays and less possessions. When you get inside the 20 yard line, you got to capitalize with touchdowns instead of field goals. And so um, this has got to be a game where, you know, if, if you want to put the game out of reach early and kind of take away App State's belief, that's how you do it. If, if, if you move the ball up and down the field, but you only kick field goals, they're going to believe. But if you move the ball up and down the field and, and you're pushing it in for six and we're watching Ramsey's do, uh, do, do push-ups in the end zone, they're probably going to quit a lot sooner than, than later. And so um, a really good chance to continue to build off of that because, you know, what you want to do in the non-conference slate, it, it's, it's a lot like what you see in college basketball. You just don't have as many non-conference games. You want to know what your identity is going into ACC play. And Carolina, you know, they, they got a Big Ten game at home next week against Minnesota. You should beat them. Then you go on the road to Pittsburgh. Arguably your toughest conference game before you play Duke at home in November. You want to have an idea when you go there who you are and on offense and defense and special teams. And this week is another chance to learn a little bit more about what type of team we got in Chapel Hill. All right, so let's give our keys to the game. And the first one for me is something that I talked a little bit about there earlier. I think it's you got to gain some momentum early on. You, you, you Basically, you just have to take App State out of this game as quickly as you possibly can. Because the longer that you allow App State to stay around in this game, the more they're going to start feeling themselves. And we've seen it before. When, when those types of moments happen – they, the teams start to feel it. They start to gain some of the momentum. So I think for Carolina, the biggest thing that they have to do in this game is find a way to offensively put the ball in the end zone early on and defensively get some stops early and allow yourself to sort of lengthen out that lead early on and take App State out of the game. Yeah, you know, look, I said this team isn't as good as the team we saw last year um, because I think last year's team in week one, I think, would have been capable of coming to Chapel Hill and competing against Carolina. This team is definitely not as good as the team we saw four years ago come to Chapel Hill and beat Carolina. Um, and and so, you know, we mentioned that Sean Clark knows internally this is a big game for him. You know, you beat Carolina, you know, on the road, it's going to quiet down the hot seat rumors. This is a team that's looking to bounce back from a disappointing year a year ago. The best chance to do that is to beat an in-state uh, opponent because I don't think we're rivals. I don't. I don't acknowledge App State enough to call us rivals. And so, no, you can't call a team a rival if their if their fans come over and root for you during basketball season. That's, that's not how that works. And, and you know, I I mean, we're gonna we're gonna accept it during basketball season because I like seeing you know people appreciate the what what greatness is. Um, we're like Luke but, Combs, man, we gotta have him for basketball season. Come on. So you know, you bring up a good point. Um, it's a 5:15 kick. No excuses for Keenan to be filled and be loud and be ready to cheer. And hopefully, when we see the light show for the first time in 2023, we're not going in there with uh, with nervousness. Hopefully, the game is in down and we can really just celebrate a 2-0 start to the year. Yeah, hopefully, we can't be touched or can't be tamed at that point. Um, so the, the the second key to the game to me is win the turnover battle. Uh, I, I think, again, you talk about what fuels upsets. Creating turnovers is a big part of it. If teams can find ways. I mean, we saw it the other night. Just go back to that Monday night game in Durham for Duke. Look at how many turnovers they created, and those timely turnovers especially. Carolina's got to hold on to the football. They have to take care of it and don't allow – this team to get back into the game. And to be honest with you, you can almost couple 
you know, the turnovers and the penalties really just don't shoot yourself in the foot. Because remember last year, remember the play that turned the game a year ago? And again, still a questionable call to this day. The late hit on Cameron Kelly that completely changed that entire game. Carolina would have gotten off the field there. Probably don't see 40 points in a quarter, but it ends up happening. Carolina, all of a sudden, it, it just starts snowballing on them. And they get to the point where, you know, they, they're in a shootout where, you know, guys are making mistakes. Even when they're scoring touchdowns, they're making mistakes. Um, you know, hopefully you can avoid that in this game. And the best way to do it is to not have self-inflicted mistakes like they did a year ago with turnovers and penalties. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's recipe for upset one-on-ones, turn the ball over and commit stupid penalties. Something Carolina, you know, they turned it over lastly, but they were able to escape it. Um, and really outside of a penalty uh, fuel drive by SEC uh, officials, if they were even an SEC crew last week, South Carolina doesn't score in the second half. And so, I, I mean, if Carolina plays a clean game, you know, and, and Drake doesn't throw the interception or the interceptions, you don't fumble the ball, I mean, Carolina's going to make – they're going to commit a penalty or two. You're not going to play clean all the way around. But if they avoid an 8, 9, 10 penalty game, I think it does make it harder to envision App State pulling the upset. The last one that I have is win the important downs, third and fourth down. Look, they did it a week ago. They, they were absolutely outstanding against South Carolina defensively. They allowed 4 of 14 on third down conversions. They were uh, they held South Carolina to 0 of 4 on fourth down conversions. Uh, and then on the other side of things, Carolina themselves, 8 of 13 on third downs and 1 of 2 on fourth downs. I think – you know, if they can really establish themselves early on in the game on those crucial downs, I think this could be a game where Carolina pulls away. And I feel like for them, that's really what they want. They don't want this game to have to be close. Give yourself a little bit of breathing room. And what, you know, with the schedule that's as tough as you have, is one of your easier games this season. Uh, I, I think that's that's got to be a big recipe to do it. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is just being being prepared to get stops on fourth down because I, I feel like if, if App State crosses the 50 and gets like inside your 45, your 40, if it's fourth and four or less, they're probably going. That's just the nature of the game now. You're going to see every team virtually in the country, once they cross midfield, they get to fourth and manageable, they're going to go for it because – some math geek has some you know, analytical equation that will tell them to do so. Um, and so I think if Carolina does that again, then yeah, because it's it, it's really hard to win football games when you're not efficient on third down. And if you go forward on fourth down, you don't convert. It's just how many times do you watch a football game and see a team go three or 14 on third down, 0 4 on fourth down and, and win? It's not very often. Um, and so Carolina is even – remotely as successful as they were this week as they were last week. I find it really hard to see App State uh, being in the game deep into the fourth quarter. Greg Newman uh, just commented on Facebook, says, guys, don't forget the weather may play a factor. Forecast is calling for some storms around game time. That could certainly be interesting. The other thing that I'm hoping is that uh, that is not severe weather, which it always is possible this time of year. So hopefully this is not one of those games. That's another thing. You really hope this isn't a game that gets delayed by weather because you talk about, you know, what, what can get teams at a rhythm. Long weather delays and things like that definitely can hurt. So we'll have to monitor that. 
uh, going into the game. Thank you for uh, to Greg for pointing that out. Uh, now let's get to our predictions. Uh, what do you see happening in this game on Saturday in Keenan Stadium against the App State Mountaineers? Yeah, I mean, I think Carolina's offense will be a little bit more explosive. I think there'll be a little bit more big plays um, throughout the football game. I think the defense builds, and I think you see a lot of what you saw on Saturday, on uh, th- this Saturday in Keenan Stadium behind a, a loud, excited uh, fan base. And so um, I, I said to open up, I don't think App State is as good as they were a year ago. I know they're going to be motivated to come in here and try to do something, uh, but I don't, I don't think it happens. I think Carolina will be re-energized, motivated after the win to build off of it. Uh, after what happened today with Tez Walker, uh, re-ticked off to go out there and play hard for him. I think they win it. I don't think it's close. I got the heels 38-17. Mm. Yeah, I, I think, you know, they'll be able to build off of that first week performance as well, especially offensively. I think they look much more clean in this game. I think they put up, uh, a, you know, a much better performance. I don't think Drake May turns the football over in this game. Um, I think he's going to be motivated, honestly. I don't think he feels like he played his best game uh, the other night in Charlotte, and he's going to be ticked off and want to prove something as well, not to mention he just lost a guy uh, that he thought was going to be his top receiver for the year, and he was probably hopeful he would get him back at some point this year. But uh, I think you're going to see you know, a more motivated Drake May. I think you're going to see a wide receiving core that's motivated to prove that last week, some of the drops that they had, uh, some of the trouble creating separation at times that they had uh, was just, you know, a first week thing. Now that they've got, you know, a little more uh, familiarity uh, with Drake May and and really just an understanding that they're going to have to step up with Tez Walker out for the rest of the year and Nate McCollum out till who knows when. I think you're going to see those guys motivated to step up and perform. Uh, I think the offensive line will be really, really solid again. And then defensively, I think, you know, it it could be, you know, a similar type of performance. I think there is a possibility that they can allow more points than they did uh, in the game against South Carolina. But here's the thing, even if they do, even if they, you know, still put up a pretty solid performance and allow a little bit more uh, on the scoreboard, I think as long as it looks similar to what we saw a week ago in terms of just, uh, you know, the physicality that we see up front, uh, just the overall mindset of the team, I think we'll be pretty satisfied. I think you see that in this game. I think Carolina wins it 45-20 to 20 over the App State Mountaineers on Saturday. So we're going to have that in-depth preview. Uh, really quickly, I did want to read through some of the comments that people, because people were, were, were steaming about the Taz Walker thing. Of course, Greg Ward earlier, uh, he said, it's a damn joke. The NCAA has no footing on this decision. Um, I mean, yeah, it's just it, it, honestly at this point, it, it's just a bad look for the NCAA. Uh, Heels Bivens, uh, a guy who's always uh, you know been following our podcast uh, for a while now, always appreciate him stopping. And he says both the NCAA and the ACC are starting to suck for different issues. I mean, you, he, he's not wrong on that one. I got to be honest. That that's the thing about the NCAA. These are the moments where they really want to show themselves. They really want to act like they're strong. They can put a foot down. Meanwhile, in other moments when teams are literally leaving conferences overnight, they're going to make student athletes travel across the country to play games for non-revenue sports. By the way, who do not have you know the flights and you know all the conveniences that you see for the revenue sports like football and basketball, 
they're completely silent on that. They say they care about the mental health issues uh, of players. Tez Walker's currently going through, you know, some of those himself. He's got a family member who's dealing with health issues. That was part of the reason why he transferred back. And they clearly show you that once again, they really just don't care. They're focused on their process over uh, the actual student athlete. Uh, Mac Brown said it in, in the steam and write up that he wrote today after uh, you know, the decision was made. They care about the process over the player. And I think that's a hundred percent right. We said it on this podcast and I will continue to say this whenever anybody asks me about this situation. They use this as a chance to trap him and the other guys that uh, were second-time transfers during this cycle. They, they use this as an opportunity to trap them and use them as examples for guys in the past. The thing that I just don't understand is why did they pick a certain group of guys to focus on? There are, there are other guys that had very similar circumstances. I, I'm going to be honest, and I'm not going to say the player's name. There's a guy that was at Carolina last year that transferred to Carolina before he he uh, played a snap out of his during his freshman year uh, straight out of high school. He was with a different school. He transferred after spring practice, played at Carolina, and then transferred to a new school this past offseason. How is that guy eligible? I don't understand. Why is it different for him and instead of the situation that Tez is dealing with? Why does a guy like JT Daniels get to play at four schools and a guy like Tez Walker isn't eligible? But here's the thing. It doesn't matter. Even with all of that, why is this a situation that the NCAA is now retroactively punishing guys? There was no way for any of these guys to know when they entered the portal, when they made their commitment decision, and then when they enrolled, that this was a possibility. They had no way of knowing that. I think if you brought that to, you know, a, a whatever, a, a, the, the Supreme Court, I don't know if they would end up going that high. Whatever court would oversee this if they actually took legal action, I'm pretty sure that the evidence is pretty concrete there. And it's been said by multiple people, including a guy like Jay Billis, who has a law background, but of course is also very influential in terms of college basketball and, and, and is, is really, really vocal on these NCAA issues. Um, I, I think that there is a good case and, and they would have a, a, a shot against the NCAA to once again neuter a group that's already pretty neutered in terms of how they've been able to handle NIL and all that other kind of stuff. So that's uh, you know something that's pretty interesting to hear people talk about that. Um, you know, Wes Tucker. Now he said he agrees with your point. He says, can't play him and lawyer up. That would be suicide for our season. I think that's the interesting thing. I really do wonder, you know, if Carolina takes legal action on this and if some of the other ones take legal action, would it be more to try to get an extra year of eligibility to get the year of eligibility that guys are having to sit out because of this new rule back? because they should have been grandfathered in. I think that's probably more of the strategy that you would have to take if you're the NCAA or if you're someone that is suing the NCAA. Um, what, what do you think about that? I think that's probably the way you would have to go is try to get that year back and allow them to play a little bit extra time. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's that's your course of action. Um, at some point, we got to get these these players back on a, a normal, you know, yearly routine where you play, you know, maybe five years at the most, six if you got a injury of, of, of some sort. Um, you know, the COVID year, like in theory, was a great idea. And it was one of the better ones we've seen from 
um, you know, the NCAA in recent memory, but it, it has thrown rosters out of whack in, in every, in every, in every sport, whether it's football, basketball, baseball, you know, fencing, no matter what it is, um, you, you've seen these sports impacted. So, I mean, if you can get this year back, that'd be great. But, you know, at some point they're going to have to tell them like, look, we can't just keep on granting extra years because that's just not, that's just not the way life works. You know, there's plenty of years that I wish I had back and I can't go back and get an extra year back of, you know, middle school, high school, Hell, even at, uh, 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 elementary school. And so, um, you know, just, you know, it sucks. He, he's going to have to miss the year. But hopefully he comes back next year, best shape of his life, pissed off, and puts together a hell of a year. Yeah, we'll have to see what, what ends up happening next year. I mean, I just I, – I hope that he can still be in the right mindset mindset and, and mental state. I know he's going through it right now. And, you know, this ruling certainly doesn't help that. So hopefully Mac Brown and his staff are, are doing everything that they can to take care of him and, and, and try to get him ready for next year. And, and hopefully, you know, just just hoping that his grandmother is still in good enough health next year to be able to see him play. That was one of the main reasons he transferred. There's no guarantee of that. We know that. You know, we, we've had grandparents that, you know, once they get up there in age, you just never really know. Hopefully this, you know, ends up working out in the end, and she's actually able to see her grandson play a game uh, here in, in the home state, which will be a much easier trip than it would have been to try to get her up to Kent, Ohio. So, uh, you know, I, I think that's kind of where we're going to finish it off. The only other thing I'll say is, hey, for some of those people that are saying, for especially Jeff Goodman, brother, do your own podcast. You can't even do that all that well. I've seen your podcast. It's ass. It's nothing. Like, why are you worried about an athlete that you have no background on? You don't know anything about him. And it's frankly just embarrassing. Now, Toriel fans, I know, you know, there was a Toriel fan who sent out a tweet earlier with his personal phone number. That's a little bit that that's that's a little bit too far. Send him something on Twitter, whatever, respond to him, do that. Um, I think that step's probably a little bit too far. But, yeah, for the people that keep trying to justify this, guys, there's no way of justifying this. You could try it all you want. You could say, well, this is what the coaches wanted. Yes, the coaches wanted this. And nobody's saying that it's a bad rule. But it's a bad thing to go back and punish kids that did not know at the time of their transfer, at the time of their commitment, and at the time of when they were enrolled in school that they would eventually be punished for this. Guys were in class when this ruling was officially put in place. And now you're punishing them? That is pathetic. The NCAA doesn't care, and it's time for college football to separate. And you brought this up. I believe it was on the last edition of the podcast. Maybe it was before that. Maybe it was when we were previewing South Carolina. You really do wonder at some point, is Mac Brown going to be the guy that heads this up? And the passion that he continues to show, never really know. That could be the next step for Mac Brown once he steps away uh, at Carolina. So that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the podcast, guys. Make sure you head over to the website, HeelToughBlog.com. Check out that article on the Tez Walker situation. Uh, the only thing that I guess is a bit of a relief at this point is that we know the situation has pretty much concluded. Um, you know, I don't know how he's feeling about it, but I think as Tario fans, we can just say, hey, we've got our group that we've got now. Now we know what the decision officially is, and we can just – Focus on this season and trying to move forward. No more surprises from the NCAA. Uh, so read that article on the website. Also, while you're there, make sure uh, you check out 
uh, here in uh, the next you know few hours or so. We'll have that preview up for you guys of the game against App State. So uh, that'll be up there. We'll, of course, have the recap of the game, the stock report after the game, and then we'll uh, have the press conference takeaways. I believe Ashton is going to be uh, joining the fray with us here uh, to help uh, break down Mac Brown's press conference moving forward, and that'll free us up to write some other stuff during the week as we'll then get you turned around and prepared for Minnesota as they get ready to come to Chapel Hill. But for now, that wraps it up for this edition of the podcast. We want to thank you guys for watching live, listening on the podcast side of things. We want to thank Josh Marlowe for hosting with me. And as always, go Tar Heels.